Hey, Nora. You know what is so funny? Someone said to me once that, that she plays a game with her kids about who's going to say hey first. <laughs> Which is a really bad game because if you listen to the podcast, it's always me. <laughs> she didn't notice that and she always <laughs> lost. <laughs> so I'll say hey. She wins this time. She wins this time. She listens all the time, so she'll hear this episode too. Um, wow. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming us. Uh, we are at, in the Coast Salish territories. I mean, we're running around. It's not just here. We're actually going elsewhere, too. Uh, thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for coming on this... Snowy, I mean, snowy, snowy day. Okay, sorry, that's snow. Okay, so I drove here from Los Angeles, okay? And I... Right? Like, Sandy didn't even have a license when we worked together. Like, this is amazing. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I drove here, and I was just like trying to beat the snow because I heard this like it's gonna be 20 centimeters and I was like I haven't driven in snow in a while I really hope that I beat the snow in Vancouver because I also feel like people in Vancouver probably drive worse than people in Ontario when it snows yeah okay oh yeah she thought that was a good joke no and it's true too I think that's more of a I skidded off the road But yeah, we made it. And so thank you to all of you for coming. I know that there are some people who are probably coming and arriving late. If you know other people who are coming, that's totally cool. We don't mind. They can come. That's great. We're going to have a really great conversation tonight. And it's going to be about power. And this is, if you listened to the podcast today, did you post it already? Did I post it already? Okay. Who listened to today's podcast as well? You did, hey? Wow, okay. So we we (laughs) recorded that podcast this morning, so this is the second time (laughs) that we're doing this today, Uh, so bear with us. Um, But yes, we're going to have a a conversation about power today. But first, um, we've got some news to talk about. We do. Uh, My dress is undone, so I'm just doing that up right now, um, in case you're wondering what the hell I'm doing. And on the recording, just so you know, my dress is undone. So I will start. Uh, Bill 124 in Ontario. Who cares about Ontario, Sandy? We're in British Columbia. Okay, as someone who just drove up from Los Angeles. I know, I know, I know. I'm sure people in the West are really tired of us talking about Ontario, but I do want to mention this really important thing that Bill was, uh, which was the bill, we've talked about it a few times on the podcast, that the Ford government passed to limit the amount that wages could be increased for public sector workers to 1%. Yep. That bill, Big, big boo. Big boo. That bill was just found unconstitutional by the Ontario courts. It's great. Uh, my mother is a public sector worker, so she was texting me about um, her union, texting her, and I was like really excited about it, so that's great. The Ford government has indicated that they will likely appeal the decision. Of course. To what? The Supreme Court? And get fucking, like, they'll lose there. No, I know. It's, it's, it's really, it's a dumb decision, actually, yeah. to, to appeal the decision. But yeah. in any case, they're saying they're going to appeal it. The decision itself, uh, if you are into reading decisions by judges, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a good it's a good decision. Yeah, Code, if you're a nerd, check out Can Lee. And if you're not a nerd, uh, let's go to the second bit of news that we want to talk about. Um, so, uh, congratulations on 
your new socialist premier. Ah. Okay. Uh, so the discussion about power tonight, we thought that this was going to be the perfect conversation because you are living in this really interesting situation with the NDP being in government. I mean, it's been in government now for four years or whatever. And, uh, but now you've got someone new, right? So that, we'll talk about the dynamics of that and how you orient around that and social movement positioning, blah, blah, blah. But what, what the, f the fucking cops? What's going on with the police out here, y'all? <laughs> what is this deep love and support for the police? Uh, it's, it's really awful, this, this announcement of over $200 million being um, given to the BCRCMP as part of a, a way to prioritize public safety. I thought we were beyond this. I thought that we knew that public safety, it doesn't really have anything to do with how much money you give to the police. I thought that was obvious. And I was hoping, I don't know, I was hoping for a lot of things. But I do think that it is obvious to a lot of people on the ground, even if it isn't obvious uh, to people who are in power. And I think that the mechanisms that make it such that people who are in power continually give more money to the police as a way to say that this is something that they're working on, when, you know, we all know that, that that's not how you create safe situations. David Abbey has talked about this being something that will help to stop recidivism as well, that there is a cycle of people being incarcerated and then being released and then being reincarcerated. And some of this money that is going to prioritize public safety by going to the BCRCMP is somehow going to deal with that issue. There is tons of research out there that shows that none of this has any impact on recidivism. And in fact, putting money into the police makes recidivism worse. It makes it worse. The cycle going, going in, coming out, all of that uh, it worsens um, uh, recidivism. So um, that's depressing. Um, it's really disappointing to see that. At, at the same time, it tells us something about uh, progressive governments. Mm -hmm. I think that we should always be a little bit skeptical about power. About power, legitimate power uh, in our society, and uh, the legitimate use of violence in our society, which is another type of very specific kind of power. Yeah, so before we get into the power thing, there's a couple of other issues we want to mention. Um, any Alfonso Davies fans in the room? Yes. Okay, anyone who has no idea who Alfonso Davies is, it's okay. Oh my God, folks. Fucking soccer? Soccer, all right? Soccer? Okay, yeah, right. Um, okay, so I am not, I mean, I, you probably know this about me because I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast, but I'm a pretty major soccer player. Like, I'm not good, but I scored three times last week. I, <laughs> yeah, it was great. I played four games, so fuck, it was a lot of games. <laughs> um, but why do I want to talk about Alfonso Davies? Other than he's awesome, although the men's team kind of sucked uh, this last week, but you know, whatever, it's the World Cup, there's some good teams there. Um, he is getting criticized by a bunch of journalists, white male journalists, for not talking to them. Alfonso Davies this? is black, by the way. He's black. Alfonso Davies is black. He's 22, right? Like, I don't know who's 22 in the room, but that's like, you're still babies. 
I'm kidding. When I was 22, I wasn't a fucking baby. Like, I was, like, killing it, right? So you're probably killing it, too. He's killing it. Everybody's killing it at that age. But he's refusing to speak to journalists, which is, like, fucking his right. Like, who the fuck? Like, what the fuck does he? What is he? Oh, Bruce Arthur or fucking any of these people. Um, but there was an article today being, like, Alfonso Davies. So just to say, he's cool. Uh, you can say to journalists to fuck themselves if you want, especially if uh, on a Canadian national sports team you're paid fucking not very much, which is the case for him. So I just want to state that. I also would be remiss if, you know, in talking about the World Cup, um, I'm not, has, have any of you heard how many people have estimated died in building those facilities? Yell it out. 6,500 workers, migrant workers, uh, who were brought into Qatar to build these like incredible stadia. Do you hear that I did that? Stadia? That's nice, eh? Uh, you gotta laugh with the sadness. Um, but this is, but it's horrifying that there is no comment on this at all, right? And, and there's some people that are boycotting the World Cup, obviously, for, for good reason. Uh, some people I get can't boy boycott the World Cup. They're just too into it. And I do get that as well as a soccer fan. Um, but 6,500 bodies. 6,500 people, f fathers, brothers, members of communities. Like, it's really, really disgusting. It's really horrifying. And... Well, and I think probably most were migrant workers. I mean, the conditions under which they were working, this has been in the news for the last 10 years. Like, we know uh, the, like the, being forced to work in the summer, being forced, like, in the heat, being forced to work uh, incredible hours, high heights, very terrible uh, worker health and safety, terrible living conditions, and it's just nowhere in the discussion. And I think that, you know, if, if you are a soccer fan, like, make sure that you're mentioning this and talking about this with other soccer fans so that it's not just in for nothing. But, you know, it's another good example of a failure. Like, there's no reason for Canadian journalists to not mention that in every single fucking article in the world, of, on the World Cup. Like, there's no reason not to say that. And there, it's just like, none. Yeah, so, you know, to their memories, and um, fuck FIFA extensively, and... Um, Canada should have at least won once. <laughs> Did we? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. And with that, uh, let's get into a discussion about power. Yeah, yeah, power. power. So what? Power, power, power. It's so funny because, you know, the internet has tricked us into thinking a certain kind of stature, a certain kind of celebrity is power, right? Sandy Hudson has more followers than I have on Twitter, and so you have more power. That's not facts, but okay. I think it's facts. <laughs> I don't think it's facts. I mean, sadly, I think it is. I mean, you know what? I'm like very barely on Twitter these days, so I, I have no idea. Somebody check for us <laughs> and let us know so we can update people on the podcast. This is very important information. Um, no, I think I've been thinking about this a lot lately uh, as I have been talking to younger activists about some of the ways that uh, people think about how to engage their activism strategy and so on. One of the things that we are doing when we are trying to shift policy, we're trying to change the way the world works, we're trying to change our communities, we're trying to change government, whatever it is, however we position it, is we are trying to leverage our own power somehow over like legitimate power. 
And there are some people who like uh, have this a construction of power as like just being this bad thing. It's not inherently bad. It's actually it's like this tension. It's a tug of war. And what is one of the central problems in our society is that there's not enough power that is diffuse among people who are marginalized or among people on the ground, among people who have to, who are forced to live under somebody else's idea of how the world should work that benefits them because they've got all the power. And so it's, there's this really weird thing that's happening right now where so often in our past, in history, power was related to celebrity. And that comes from like the monarchy, right? Like you, it, before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta say it. I almost said queen, like that's good. <laughs> I was like, confused for a second. I was like, king. King. oh yeah, <laughs> king. <laughs> She died. <laughs> you know what? Pause. I've had in my head for the last couple of days. Oh, this no. is an inside joke for people that are like my age. Um, literally in my head, I've heard rolling with the homies, Woof and John in my head. Anyone know what that's from? No one? You don't know what that's from? Rolling with the homies, Woof and John. Street Sense. Street Sense, where they made the money talk to each other, and that was the queen talking about Wilfred Laurie and Johnny McDonald on the other bills. I'm really glad that you interrupted me for that. Um, <laughs> because I was on a roll, you see, and <laughs> now I have no idea what the fuck I was saying. There's celebrity in the past, like the monarchy, okay, the like celebrity. Queen Elizabeth. Okay. <laughs> so, celebrity <laughs> was, was really connected to this idea of the monarchy, and so much that we knew of like all of these people that we would know way back in the past would be about like the monarchy. Like those were, were all the people that everybody knew. You didn't know, um, there weren't as many celebrities as there are now. It was connected to the monarchy. And that is why, you know, those Brit magazines or Hello or whatever the, the heck it is that follows the, the royals around, that is part of that lineage. Now, you know, celebrity has become a little bit more diffuse. And so there's this idea that, uh, when you know people, they have power, but that's not real. But what it has done is it has made it so much for so many people the goal of their activism. Like, I, I need to be known by as many people as possible so I can get the thing done that I want to get done, which is that people will see me and see what I say. Maybe it'll have an impact on culture. Perhaps it'll go viral. And this is how you know it's fake, because that's where it ends. There's nothing that comes after that. It's not real power. And so we have this, this, this problem if that becomes the goal and instead becomes what it should be, which is you know, like a tool, a strategy that we can use. It also becomes a problem if we start to identify the people who should be our targets as the people who have the most power. If I'm like all of a sudden wow, I really don't like the way that Nora is, like, her... I mean, constant, but, like, <laughs> being Nora on this particular topic, and so I'm going to confront her, target her, talk to her. She has 30,000 followers, and it's really important for me to get to take her down on this because she has so much power. She doesn't really. And I am watching the way 
that we are kind of getting confused with what is power, what is worth attacking in terms of power, and what is worth us doing in terms of trying to get power. And whew, I mean, it's partly related to what we talked about a little bit this morning. So for those of you who did watch that, uh, who listened to that um, podcast, and we discussed how in the inquiry, one of the things that the government is, um, is, is targeting is like the social media uh, as the central organizing hub of the, the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy. And it's like, that's, mm, that is not the organizing hub. That's not where the power lies. And anyone who does any sort of impactful, effective organizing knows that. Yeah, it is so interesting because, um, and I, I'm going to blame social media pretty much on this or, or the digital era because we have been confused to accept what is power when it is not, right? I mean, think of how much time people spend online talking about, I don't know, like celebrities, for example, versus like who actually controls Loblaws? Who actually con controls uh, the Royal Bank? Like how do these decisions actually get made? And you know, some of the best climate acti activism is targeting the banks, right? Understanding very clearly the role that the banks play in destroying the land, right? So that's, and that's, it, it's not a surprise it comes out of climate justice organizing because it's, that's, that's, that's often like hands-on, radical, real-life organizing, understanding the targets. But you think of something like Me Too. You know, we are five years out of Me Too or something. I mean, time, what the fuck is time? Like, we're pandemic plus two years out of Me, of Me Too, right? <laughs> and the whole point of Me Too was to state your experience, right? And, and not to say there's anything wrong with that, but that was, that was the point of it. Like you use the hashtag to say, me too, here's my experience and me too. And maybe I'm gonna name the individual and say, and you know, and I, and I think that they should whatever, be arrested or fired or whatever. Maybe the individual is someone that has lots of power. They obviously had power over me in that situation, but it stopped because the trick was that the, the end activism was literally just stating that. And it forgets the fact that power within society, especially in this case, sexualized power or the patriarchy, I mean, it comes through in a lot of different locations, right? It isn't just that your boss is a skis, it's that also the structures in your workplace are such that skeezy men rise to the top, there's tons of access to be skeezy, uh, you know, there's no recourse to unskeezify these folks, right? And, um, and so then you're just left with, well, I mean, you all know that guy's like really skeezy. And I was like, yeah, fuck, obviously, look at him, right? And, um, and so we get confused. And, and, and the more that we're on these spaces, the more there's no history, there's no past, there's nothing that's come before, there's no confrontation, there's no collective organizing to fight something like taking down Mr. Skis, the boss of the fucking whatever, you are left with really being quite confused. And then online, it's so easy to become disoriented. And then all of a sudden, we're fighting over what power is when we're not building collective power. You know, it's so funny. I, I had a conversation recently with someone who uh, is not a socialist. And uh, he was saying to me, <laughs> well, uh, so are you really a socialist? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, fuck, of course. I don't fucking just say that. Like, what the fuck? 
And, um, and he's like, what does that mean, actually? You know, and that's a really great question because a lot of times people will say they're a socialist and then they'll describe social democracy and they'll be like, oh, okay. And it's like, that is social democracy, right? Which is fine. Social democracy is fine. It's not socialism, but it's social. It's fine, right? But it's like, what do I mean by that? I mean, I mean that we have an economy and a, pol and a politic that is run by the people themselves through workplaces, through communities, through uh, other kinds of organizations that we literally are the ones in charge of running the fucking water system and running the fucking school system. And sure, like we have this in our, in our democracy, except we don't. Um, but most importantly is our workplaces, is that we actually run our workplaces, not the bosses, that we run our workplaces. And through our workplaces, we actually can organize society. And so then you start thinking about that, and then it's like, oh, all of a sudden power becomes really obvious. I mean, when I said that to him, it was like, obviously he's never had a conversation with a socialist, because he was like, oh, Oh, interesting. Like, not like, oh, that sucks, but like, oh, actually makes a lot of sense. That's a completely different way to organize a society than we've organized our societies. And so when we're imagining that, it's like, well, the power then, the power is divested from the Galen Westons of the world, the Jim Pattisons of the world, the fucking uh, Aquilinis of the world. Uh, Aquilini? Aquilini? I know it's like, my English teacher in high school was like, her name was similar to that, so I always fuck it up. Yeah, Aquilini. And, um, and that power is divested from them, and they don't have the profits, and they don't have the access to the politicians, and the politicians themselves don't have the kinds of power that, you know, someone like Danielle Smith is trying to give herself, right? But, God, we're far from that being the obvious understanding of devolving power and, and, and building power at a, at a grassroots level or a community level. Yeah, I think we've given away so much of how we do power, how we engage with power to these big corporations through the internet that it, it has become, I think, very confusing for people because it feels powerful. Like there's some sort of something that feels like something's being done when you challenge someone online. Maybe you challenge someone who is you know, a major capitalist, and that somehow goes viral, and maybe it even gets in the news. Maybe it's one of those articles that shows up every once in a while in the National Post that's just a series of tweets. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah, I did Journalism. a thing. <laughs> Journalism. Um, and you're like, I did a thing, and it feels like you've done something. You've had some sort of impact, but it's not lasting, and it doesn't actually impact any structure or any way that anything is set up and in fact it's good it's good for legitimate power for us to have some sort of outlet that feels like like mcdonald's power like you know like like really surface level superficial something that takes that energy away instead of doing what we we really should be doing with that is if we do notice something that some ultra-capitalist has said, then we should, said or done or whatever, then we should be trying to figure out together like how we want to respond to that if it is having some sort of impact on our lives. And then the other thing is if we see, another way that power is engaged in these online spaces is if we see something that someone progressive has said that we disagree with. And then it, it can feel really powerful to get that one up on that person to be like, I'm going to target that. Got it. I have I have read the better philosopher on this one. I got it. I can do this. You for sure haven't because I'm really into Sartre right now. Okay. 
No, I didn't know you became a socialist bro. <laughs> the term is brocialist, Sandy. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I want to remind you all that I'm black. <laughs> and spend all of my time in undergrad in those spaces. I got very bored of them very quickly. <laughs> See, I went to journalism school. We didn't read a single book. Touche, <laughs> <laughs> touche. Um... But yeah, it, feel, it could feel powerful to say, you know, like I am the better of, in this hierarchy of people who know stuff on the left, I am the better one. And that is also a false sort of, like the more powerful thing would be to have a discussion with that person and to build discussions amongst other people and to build uh, connections and community or something together that you could then use to fight legitimate power, because there is no, the, the leg, and when I say legitimate, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, like government power. Because there's nothing, there is nothing but like string cheese in talking to one another online and going around in these circles and pretending that we're getting something out of it. We're not getting anything out of it. And the thing that really scares me is that the right like really knows this. <laughs> they really, they know the difference between cheap power and um, and real legitimate power and having an impact on making uh, real legitimate power bend to to what they want. And for whatever reason, we just haven't figured it out yet. And it might be, I mean, I I don't know. I don't have um, like a real theory on why it is that it seems that things are going this way. Maybe it's too hard. Maybe we're all like exhausted. <laughs> I mean, we're probably all exhausted. I, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, we've all been exhausted over the last few years about everything that's going on. But I just, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. And maybe in our discussion, we can talk about that if you folks have some theories. Because I, I, I truly think that this is one of the, the biggest threats um, to us right now is not being able to properly analyze a situation and understand where the power is coming from, what makes sense to target, what makes sense to attack, what makes sense to make better, what makes sense to ignore. Like we, I just don't think we, we've got that figured out. Um, if we did, we'd see a lot fewer people talking about Kanye West like in my life. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, here we are. I do think I know what is going on. Do say, do tell. Well, you're going to say, yeah, I knew that. You're, gonna, you're like, oh, yeah, well, obviously. You don't know what I'm going to say. I do. Okay. <laughs> There's the challenge. Now it's going to be, like, totally different. Um, no, the, the problem is, is that we have no space to have these discussions. Like, Sandy and I talk every week, as you know. We don't talk unless you're listening. <laughs> but it allows us to always debate and, and, and say, oh my God, did you see this? And it's like we're always on the same page because we're always talking and debating and discussing and getting on that same page. And, um, and it's great because it means that I, I know how you're gonna react to stuff and you know how I'm gonna react to stuff, pretty much more or less all the same. 
Now, in my organizing, I, I have a similar kind of thing. I know which people and which groups that I'm organizing with, who's going to react to this and who's going to react to that in those ways because we work together. We have relationships. Um, you know, we're not friends, and I'm thinking of one group in particular, but I just know the kind of people that are going to say, I want X, I don't like Y, whatever, right? And from that basis, then we come up with our discussion of, okay, so what should we do? What should we do in this situation? Who are we going to target? And so, like, here's a super minor example, but, you know, I'm involved in this fight to save a transit project in Quebec City. Um, I mean, it's not actually under threat. It's the, the document's been signed, the excavation started, but there's a citizens group that is suing the government and the municipal government saying that is illegal, that the train is an illegal train, which is hilarious. And, um, and these people are ridiculous and so easy and fun to make fun of. Now, we don't target other people in our group for saying the right thing or the wrong thing. It doesn't look like Twitter, even though a lot of it's happening online. But we, we understand that the, the, the target is government. It's not even this citizens group that's, that's, that's challenging the government. Now, they're being funded by car companies and developers and a lot of fucking people that don't understand how gentrification works because they're actually going to make money off of this. It's a whole other issue. But we, like, the, the power analysis in that work becomes really obvious. We have to fight to, to give the mayor confidence. We have to fight against the right-wing um, elements in our city. And we have to fight against the citizens group, which is funded by the right-wing elements of the city. And, and there's no confusion. Like, it's like, somebody says something and it's not like oh we have to stop what they're saying they're like a little bit wrong for wanting a new station here or another kind of train or something like that and I think that when you bring it into the real life it becomes really obvious you know if we were tonight having a meeting about how to fight the new mayor uh no one would be denouncing each other <laughs> I don't think you know I, even if someone had a bad idea the next person on the speakers list wouldn't be like, okay, so that was a fucking stupid idea. And I can't believe, well, I can't believe you suggested that. What the hell is wrong with you, right? No one would do that. You'd be like, okay, yeah, yeah. Skydiving with a flag that says defund the police. We'll put it over there as an idea, you know? And then someone else will come in and be like, I do skydive. And this is why that's a bad idea, you know? And the room comes up with these ideas. It's great. And then we understand that power is, is the mayor or the chief of police or the police or city council or whatever, right? I, she, okay, she's pulling that from an actual thing that has happened <laughs> at a meeting that we were at. <laughs> that was a good memory. It's true, it's true. <laughs> Well, yeah, 100% that was, that was um, on offer at a meeting that we were at, and that was... Uh, and we'll shout him out, whose <laughs> partner listens to this podcast religiously. He, I'm sure, does not. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, I won't say his name, but uh, uh, yes, that was a real suggestion, and that was a real thing that happened. Like, it was a real kind of... People looking around the room at each other, like... Other people, like... <laughs> and, uh, and then having a discussion to then realize that it, uh, it wasn't something that was going to work. Were, were you in that meeting where, um, this may have been a, a local meeting, so it may not have been a citywide meeting, but someone was like, I have a car and I think, um, and I need it to be smashed and I'd like the car to be smashed for lower tuition fees. And so we'll give students a bat and they can come and they can smash this car. Were you there? I, no. That sounds very familiar, okay. but I don't know. And I was like, 
that's a great idea. <laughs> I think that is such a good idea. And then everyone in the room was like, are you, what the fuck? No, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> smash a car in the middle of campus? I was like, obviously that's cool as hell. Um, and I mean, that put me on the side with the engineers along with some other stuff. But, um, you know, that's, that's exactly it. That you have, you, 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 if we had that conversation on Twitter. It doesn't happen the same way. No, but like, what would, like the first criticism would be like, Actually, I'm not even gonna say. Like, you can all just imagine. Like, oh, you could you could take it so many different ways because probably one of the first people to respond to you wouldn't even respond to the idea that you were saying. They would like be like, uh, uh, jets emit fuel, and you're you hate the environment, and uh, <laughs> you are trying to destroy us by supporting fossil fuels. Yeah, right. There you go. That's Twitter, yeah. right? Like, and that would never happen in a room full of people who are all coordinated around the same goal of trying to like legitimately uh, to combat power and attack power. So yeah, okay, I agree with what you said. What? What did I just say seven minutes ago? Relax, relax. I'm not finished. There was obviously a but happening at the end of that sentence. <laughs> There's more. The other part is that, so the, that part, what you're talking about is the collectivity. And the other part is the individualism. Yes. Yes. I have an answer to that too, but please continue. No, no, no. Okay. The individualism uh, becomes less possible when you're all together. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because, and and so this is, this is the thing, like we have such a warped idea of leadership and this is where I think that we need to look at the, at the right, especially the religious right to see how they foster leadership. They create leadership through speaking engagements and events and bringing like active young people from church basement to church basement and they learn leadership skills they're not becoming the leader of a movement they're not becoming micro conservative celebrities but the second that you need a shithead to take some shitheaded fucking mp seat in shithead fucking canada they have someone who's there, who knows how to speak, who knows how to deliver a, a pitch, who's able, who's got a bit of charisma, who's practiced. And on the left, again, when our social movements are in disrepair, we don't have the spaces to train leaders. And instead, what happens is that media and government picks our leaders. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 or banks or, politici- or um, corporations, right? They're like, Sandy, you you have it. Mm -hmm. You got it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you'd be an excellent member of the prime minister's youth cabinet or the Vancouver sun is calling saying, Sandy, I saw you started this rally. You must be the leader. And you're like, fuck, I guess so. Right. Have, have you folks had this experience? Some of you, like you've been involved in some sort of something. And then all of a sudden, all of these different things start like contacting you to sit on committees and be a part of like the policy analysis of something, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I guess that's what I should do. If I'm gonna have a say in this sort of stuff, it is I, the savior of, <laughs> of the thing that they told me that I was working on, and yes, I finally did it, I reached power. Power cares about me, they're gonna let me sit at the table, I'm gonna talk, and then all of a sudden you're taken, you're gone. They've absorbed you. It's individualist, they've taken you and they have diffused you from the thing that made you powerful, which was everything, everybody around you, all the stuff that you came up with together. And they've put you alone on a committee and, and they've destroyed it. And 
that happens so much to us. And for whatever so reason, we haven't figured out what the conservatives had, which is you say fuck you to those things. <laughs> that that doesn't help. It doesn't help. Now, to an extent, it is useful to have people at all places to like report back to the central organizing hub, to be connected to that central organizing hub. So I'm not saying ignore the spaces where power is. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we should understand where, the, where our power really comes from. It's not coming from us being plucked and spoken to and decide, like someone saying, Sandy and Nora, <clears throat> Sandy and Nora, you know, we're powerful because we get to reach these audiences and talk to all of this, these people. That is a kind of power. It's a kind of tool, but it's not real power. It's not. I mean, the power of even this, this podcast, comes in us coming together and being able to discuss and parse through the things that we're talking about, whether you agree with us or not, and then take those discussions and turn it into action. But this is fake. It's not real. It's not real power. Like, you sit and you listen to me, and then I... I don't know, uh, maybe drive back to L.A. <laughs> and, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't challenge anything. The real structures of power. So, and that is to say, you should also be really skeptical of activists and personalities that say that they've got it all, like they've got all the answers, and they're like, you should be listening to them, and this is the way, this is the way things are, especially if they always appear alone. Especially if they always appear alone and they're not connected to anything. You never hear them talking about what organizations they're building with. Because it kind of probably means that they can't build with other people. If you can't build with other people, something is wrong. Something is going on with the way that you're doing whatever change-making work you're trying to do. You have to do it with other people if you're going to be successful at all at it. Otherwise, I don't know, like, what are you, Jesus? He had fucking 12 around him, Sandy. No, then you're not Jesus. No. No, and not only that, but he was the son of God. All right? Son of God. Yeah, I mean, what else? The, the, yes, 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 yes. And it's, and it's difficult because we are in these places. Um, oftentimes, the public-facing work uh, is all you see. You don't see... I mean, you don't... Like, I, fuck, I don't even see what Sandy's doing. Like, you don't see what I'm doing. We complain about it sometimes to each other. Yeah. We sometimes talk about it on the podcast. You know this. You know, I got an argument with someone online. I won't even say when. Sometime in the last two months, let's say. About higher education and, 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 and picket lines and stuff. And it was, like, very clear that this person had not been on a picket line, like, fucking ever. And they had ideas. And I'm like, okay, like why are you talking to me about this stuff? I fucking have been on a picket line like before, you know? Um, but it's, it's all about, sometimes it is about performativity and it is about building a brand and it is about chasing clout. And we have to be very, very um, critical of that, very um, aware of that as well. And I want to bring it back then to how do you orient around power when the person in power is ostensibly left-wing, right? So this is, this is your hell, <laughs> right my hell is like my premier founded air transat so like all i can say is like fuck air transat but you folks have someone who 
has someone who comes from a progressive background, uh, who I'm sure many people in the room have personal relationships with, like, you know, very different than previous premiers and a very different perspective than even uh, John Horgan, right? And I think that that is very tricky because you will always be told that if you push too far, you'll take them down and the right comes back in power, right? And it's like, newsflash, the right's going to be back in power next. That's how this fucking works. It goes there, then then, and there, then then, and there, then then. So then the question is, how much time do you have between now and the right coming back into power? And what do you do with that time? And, and it's very tough because it means that there's going to be uncomfortable uh, uh, co confrontations. There's going to be a lot of moralizing and a lot of, um, you know, tactics that try to remind like we're on the same side even though we're talking about government right like government is a kind of power and um and i think in this that's a situation where it is so easy to isolate individuals that if you're trying to push a progressive government to be as progressive as they say or even further um you need to have the collective behind you with you beside you because it's only through collective power that you can actually push something that says that they're progressive because if you're trying to do it on your own, you'll be co-opted or you'll be marginalized. You'll be pushed aside. You'll be, maybe you've got enough personal connections that you'll be, they'll say stuff about you to your friends and then all of a sudden you're like defending yourself to your friends, right? That's, that's sadly part of the game and how it all happens. And, and I'm like, I don't want to break anyone's heart, but that's going to happen. It is happening. And so when you're thinking about power and trying to, um, trying to fight power that is ostensibly on your side, you need more than ever that collective with you to do it and to change people's minds from the grassroots, regardless of if they are left-wing people, to try and make sure that governments are doing the right thing. So in some ways, you're orienting to them in the exact same way that you would orient to the conservatives, but you'd use totally different tactics, you'd use totally different language, totally different strategies. And with that... Are we already we're, done? We're at 40 minutes. I do... There's one thing that we forgot to mention at the top, an action that you can take if you are here in Vancouver. Uh, Emily Carr is having a walkout on... Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yes. Emily Carr is having a walkout tomorrow. The, uh, Emily Carr has decided to uh, increase international student tuition fees, I believe, by 10%. Yes, planning to increase returning international student tu uh, tuition fees by 10% and new international undergrad tuition fees by 30%. That is bullshit. I mean, that's obviously bullshit, but... And fucking NDP government, folks that come from the student movement, what the fuck... Um, but that's especially bullshit because that is, that is a tactic that we saw the Ontario Liberals uh, bring in when we were back in the day, where you have this differential tuition fee increase. So the folks in school will pay 10% more. The new folks won't have any experience of paying anything, so they'll pay 30% more. And um, there's the cap, the, the domestic tuition fee cap is 2%, to just put that into perspective. Uh, to say nothing of the exchange rates that fuck international students all the time, right? That their tuition fees are never constant because they've got their own currency issues, right? So sometimes currency spikes, sometimes they drop, and then all of a sudden you're paying the same tuition fees, but it's costing you more. Um, so yes, two o'clock tomorrow, Emily Carr, make sure you walk out with them and, and pay really close attention to that issue.